Well, so glad you're here. Welcome to Centerpoint. If you're new with us, my name's John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad you're our guest. And if you are new, please do stop by the blue tables after service so we can uh, help you get connected here. So this is Father's Day, and I want to just say every single dad in this room, our Heavenly Father has put something in you that you are uniquely positioned on planet Earth to reflect out to kids and kids people that think of you as a dad, your own kids, or people who just look at you like you're a dad. And God has put something of his very own image uniquely revealed as father in you to be able to reflect into the lives of so many around you. And I'm grateful for so many dads in this room who keep on turning to God, receiving his love, receiving more of his presence and his mercy and his goodness, getting your tank a little bit more full on the love of God so that you can give that away to the ones closest to you. And for every dad who feels like, man, that's not where I am right now, well, that's where you can be. Our God is a God of new beginnings and second chances, and today you can begin to be that kind of person who's coming to God getting full on his presence, and then giving a reflection of his goodness to people around you. So happy Father's Day, dads. I bless you in Jesus' name to be all that God's called you to be in uniquely reflecting the Father's heart. All right, so I was thinking about uh, training, and, and I remember going out for the lacrosse team when I was in high school. And I, I went out for the lacrosse team, and the first day of practice, the captain of the team uh, this guy named Brad, he was a senior. I was a, a freshman, sophomore, whatever. And he, he, uh, he said, all right, we're going, we're going running. And he ran us two and a half miles across our town to this place where there was this hill. And in, in my mind, it was like at least as tall as those mountains right over there. Of course, that's an exaggeration. It was probably like as tall as the roof. But anyway, he's, he said, if you want to be on my lacrosse team, you're running that hill 10 times right now. It was one of those, you know, brutal moments as a, as a high school young one with a senior kind of yelling at you. And so then we had to start running. And there's a whole bunch of us. And I was kind of down here at the end with a couple of other guys. And we, we ran up this hill. And I made it up to the top the first time and ran back down. Whew, that about killed me just the first time. The second time, I barely made it to the top. I, I did run the whole way. The third time, I couldn't run the hill. I, I mean, halfway up, I just had to start walking it. And I walked to the top, and then I walked back down. And when I got down to the bottom, I sat down with a group of those other guys that were down there at that end. We just figured, let's just take a break. We got you know seven more times on this thing. Let's just take a break. And so we sat down. And then right about then, along came uh, Brad Cabral, that, that guy I was telling you about, the, the captain, the senior. And he came, and he's like, oh, you guys wanted to take a break? And we're like, yeah. Yeah, we just wanted to take a break. He's like, oh, you just like to sit? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, if you like to sit, go hang out with the library losers. This is a lacrosse team. Get up and run. It was one of those, anyone else have a moment like that in your memory? I seem to have a few of them, right? But, but uh, uh, we, we got up and we ran. And man, I thought I was going to die that day. And I know that I cried that night. Like, I literally went home and cried in my bed. Oh, no, because that was the first day, you know? So anyway... And we, you know, we did the lacrosse season and more and more of that kind of training all throughout the season. And, and I do remember this. I remember we got to the end of the season and we somehow made it to the playoffs. And just before the playoffs, Brad said, come on, we're going running. Ran us two and a half miles across town, right back to Kill Hill, as we called it. And uh, said, give me 10 runs on that hill right now. And then the group of us all just ran up that hill 
and ran down. And I remember just thinking about all the different teams that we were going to be playing, Lawrenceville, Heightstown, thinking about all these other teams and this aggression rising up, you know? And before I knew it, 10 times, done, up, down, up, down, did it, 10 times. And here's the big picture, right? The training worked. And so this series that I'm starting today is called Basic Training. And I want us to take some time to go into the book of James uh, and to take a deep dive into this book in the Bible. And it's right towards the back. I want you to open up the Bible right now or your Bible app on your phone. And uh, the book of James is one that, that's important for us. And the thing about the book of James is that it's very direct and straight and to the point. And it's written by James. I mean, there's some scholars out there that want to say all kind of highfalutin things like, well, maybe it's not, though. They always say that. As far as I'm concerned, this is written by James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother, as in same mother, different father. So it's like, <laughs> like that, mixed family. Okay, so James is the half-brother of Jesus. And one of the interesting things about James, by the way, you're turning in James, right? You're finding James chapter one right now, right? Because we're gonna be people who know how to read the Bible. So James chapter one, uh, you're, you're turning there. James, in the Gospels, you don't find any evidence for James actually being a believer in Jesus. In fact, you find several verses where the indication is that James was not a believer in Jesus when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. I mean, come on, if you had a sibling that started talking about, well, I am the savior of the world, God in the flesh, you might not be so quick to get on the believe train either, you know? So James was not a believer while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, but when Jesus rose from the dead, that'll even make a cynical sibling a believer. And so from that point on, James believed in Jesus. And, and, and you'll see here, it calls him the glorious Lord and Savior. You know, so James, James is a unique guy. When you read through the book of James, you kind of get this idea that maybe he's an, a, kind of a little bit grumpy. I mean, I'm sorry, if James, if you're listening. You know, but he, he's, he's a, little, a little, yeah, edgy sometimes. But James has a passion. James has a passion to speak to Jewish Christians. And he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so most of the people he's spending his time with are people who were Jews who had adopted this new Jesus faith. And so they're Jewish Christians. I mean, at the very beginning, all the Christians were Jewish Christians. And James had this unique passion. And just big picture, just notice this. It's amazing to me. God allows each of us to have different kinds of passions, and different kinds of passions can have a place in his kingdom, even though they're not the same. For example, James has this passion to speak to Jewish Christians, yet Paul, another one that's used by God as one of the authors inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, has this passion for speaking to Gentiles. I just thank God for that, that he can work through different kinds of people with different kinds of passions. But James... He also has, has a thing for, for people not just talking Jesus, but living Jesus. I mean, as you get through the book of James, he doesn't go into a whole lot of high-minded theology stuff. James goes right straight to the point, like, just do it. Do it like this. It feels like a, I keep thinking he's like a grumpy uncle who's just like, I've lived long enough to earn the right to just tell you how to do it, right? And, and that's what kind of comes through in the book of James. He's got this passion to, to speak to how the, the faith in Jesus' life intersects with the everyday, ordinary kinds of things, especially things like 
trials. Everybody say trials. This message is training for the trials. So with that, let's turn to the book of James. James chapter 1. So James chapter 1, this is what we read. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's go back to verse 2, and I want you to read this out loud with me. Verse 2, ready? Go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is one of those verses in the Bible that I sometimes wish came with a little guidance, you know? Like maybe there could be an asterisk on this verse, and then down at the bottom of the page it would say something like, yeah, don't throw this verse in your friend's face when they're going through something hard. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever known one of those people that you're going through something hard, and they're like, oh, count it all joy, you know? <laughs> no, this is not what that verse is for. This, this verse is, is God bringing a revelation to us that can help us to, to be ready and to be ready to see things differently. But it, it does say, again, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, and what's that next word? Whenever you face trials of many kinds. I notice that it doesn't say if. It doesn't say if. It says whenever. The King James says when, as in you could probably count on it. This is important. You know, we, we need to embrace this reality, that we are, we are meant to be people of expectation and anticipation. And yes, a big part of that is an expectation and an anticipation of how awesome God is and the good he is going to do in our lives and the blessing that's going to come in our lives, yes, but we are also meant to have an appropriate kind of an expectation for the fact that hard things are going to happen, that problems are going to pop up, that difficulties are going to get dumped in our lap sometimes, and trials are going to trouble us. That's something I think God wants us to have in mind. And to never be shocked when it happens. You know, sometimes we sing this song, uh, King of My Heart, and we sing, you're never going to let, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. And sometimes I feel a little worried. <laughs> I sometimes want to get up in the middle of that song and go, oh, oh, hold on, though. What we're not saying is, God, you're never going to let anything hard happen to me, you know? Like, I, I want to make sure that we have a, a eyes wide open healthy expectation about this life and what's coming. I mean, because the scriptures are clear. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's not what you'd expect to find. Jesus says, John 16, in this world, you will have troubles. I mean, so it's, it's in the scriptures for a reason that we're meant to have a kind of a healthy sense of anticipation about the reality of hard things. And to not be deluded into thinking it's all supposed to be rainbows and unicorns all the time. And if it isn't, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? No. Instead, we are meant to be people who can, when those hard things happen, have a different way of, of dealing with it and responding to it. See, here's the thing. I, I feel excited about the words of Jesus in John 10.10. 10. Jesus said, I have come 
that they might have life and have it to the full. Anybody ever heard those words of Jesus? I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And we think, that sounds pretty good, man. Life to the full? Let me add it. Life to the full. And who knows, what does that mean for you? Life to the full, a brand new car. Life to the full, tens of thousands of extra dollars. Life to the full, a shiny new boat. Life to the full, no problems whatsoever. You know, I don't know what might come to your mind when you hear life to the full, but it's not life absent of trial. In fact, I mean, when you read through the Bible, (laughs) when you read through the Bible, it's a whole book full of trial after trial after trial after trial after trial. And it's like as though God is wanting for us to see, hey, that's kind of normal in this thing. Since the Garden of Eden and its perfection is ended, trial is part of the territory of life on planet Earth. And I don't want you to be shocked by it. In fact, I want you to be strong enough to be able to know what to do when it comes. And and so I'm hoping that we could take this to heart and recognize trials are terrible. Trials stink. I'm not trying to say that they're good. They're bad. By definition, they're trials. But they can do something good. And that's what we're reading here, isn't it? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And the verse goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's, that's inherently good. Okay, it, it doesn't seem like it at first, but it is. The testing of your faith is something good. Your faith, God says, is worth more than pure gold. It's, it's what's revealed. And your faith is something that has to be shown to be real every once in a while. And faith is about having a, a core ability within you to say, God, I'm believing you for something that I don't quite see just yet. And if everything was already amazing and awesome, you wouldn't really need much of it, would you? And so there's got to be some some proving grounds for faith. There's got to be some moments where you can see if it's real. There's got to be something that draws your faith out into the open. And nothing does that quite like a trial. (laughs) So trials aren't good, but they can do good. And so I think what we're being called to here, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The the core of this is is an invitation to see something differently. And so if you're taking notes, this is the invitation, is to see the good that can come from trials. See the good that can come from trials. See the good. We we probably all have some people in our lives that uh, we really respect and and have a lot of admiration for. And chances are, if you've got a person like that in your life, somebody who you really respect and have a lot of admiration for, chances are that's a person who's been through some tough stuff. And because they've found a way to make it through the tough stuff, that's why you have that respect and that admiration, that appreciation for them. Because you realize there's an inherent, powerful goodness in perseverance, in what it looks like in a person's life who's figured out how to make it through something and not give up on God. And that's one of the good things that can come uh, through trials. You know, life has a way sometimes of just dumping a load of difficulties in your front yard, and you've got to figure out what to do with it. 
So I saw this, uh, this, this news clip of this woman named Mary Winchenbach up in Maine. And Mary Winchenbach, she's a kind of a zany, crass, but creative and funny woman. And, and she lives in Maine, like I said. And, and apparently in Maine, there's lots of moose. And she talked about moose in her interview. And she said, yeah, these moose, you know, whenever they relieve themselves, they dump about 200 to 400 turds. And apparently they did that in her front yard. And you know, when that happens to you, you've got an option. You gotta decide, how am I gonna respond to this? So Mary Winchenbach decided, you know what? I'm gonna do something with this load of crap that just got dumped on my front yards. That's her words, not mine. But uh, she decided she was gonna collect the moose turds and make crafts out of them, sell them at crafts fairs and on Etsy. And the woman's making hundreds of thousands of dollars and has a reality TV show now. I mean, I'm not even making this up. You gotta look it up. Her business is called Turdy Works, and <laughs> she makes things like this. She makes things like the, the for example, the poo-poo clock. And so the poo-poo clock, she puts the moose turds at the half hour mark so that you can get like 10 turdy and 11 turdy. Right? Ah. <laughs> she makes things like the, the Christmas dingleberries because in her words, she said, well, you need these because you can never have too much crap on your Christmas tree. I mean, that's, that's uh, Mary Winchenbach for you. Or she makes the, uh, the fecal people. Yes, the fecal people. And she said, this one, you need it, and they're unique because just like people, no two turds are alike. I mean, that's, that's her sales pitch for this stuff. What I'm getting at, you can take that down, thank you. What, what I'm getting at is, yeah, life sometimes has a way of, of dumping a load of, of difficulty on your front yard. But what are you going to do with it? I, I would suggest that James is calling us, the Holy Spirit through James is calling us to see it differently. Consider it pure joy. Another translation says, count it all joy. Another translation says, consider it a sheer gift because it can do something good. It isn't good, but it can do something good. It can cause you to grow. It can cause you to develop a resilience. It can, can cause you to develop that thing which when you see it in someone else, you admire, you respect, you look up to. Perseverance. It, it, it's something that I believe God is looking for in his kids. For you and I to be the kind of people that grow stronger. And the trials are one of the ways that we experience that growing stronger. So second thing we got to do is we got to ask for God's wisdom and help through the trials. We have to ask for God's wisdom and help through the trials. It seems like it goes without saying, but it needs to be said. God wants for us to be the kind of people that ask for his wisdom and help, ask for God's wisdom and help through the trials. One of the things that makes trials so hard is that when we're in a trial, a lot of the times we don't know what to do. That's part of what makes it so difficult. We don't know how to proceed. We don't know whether to go right or left or whether it's this person or that person or this goal or that one. And it makes the trial even that much harder. We don't know what to do. And we feel alone. That's another thing that makes trials so hard. We feel alone in the middle of the struggle. But our God wants us to be the kind of people who know that we're never alone and that we always have access to his wisdom and help. In fact, that's what we read here next in James. James 1 verse 5, it says, in the context of trials, right? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is James 1 5, if any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I think part of what, what is being revealed to us here is that God loves it when his kids have an ability at the core of their being to say, God, I believe you for something good. <laughs> and I'm not going to doubt you. I'm not going to doubt your character, God. I'm not going to doubt your ability, God, and I'm not going to doubt myself either. I'm going to believe that you're able to help me, that you're going to give me the solution and the wisdom. And inherent in this is the idea that you and I are growing in being people who know the voice of God, who, who are growing to be the kind of people who know how to still our own spirit enough to say, I hear his still small voice. To live in that prophetic reality that Isaiah looked forward to where it says you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's kind of what James is getting after here is that we're meant to be those kind of people, the kind of people that can say, I hear you, God. I, I, I get wisdom from you, God. I don't need any other earthly guru in the end. I can, I can ask some people for their counsel, but your wisdom, God, that's my prize. This is what we're made for, to be the kind of people who don't just worry our prayers, but to be the kind of people who ask boldly and believingly for God to give us his wisdom and his help. I wonder if anybody here today, you got anything going on in your life where it just seems impossible and it seems like a trial that feels like a 10-ton weight on you. It's time for you to begin crying out, God, I need you. God, I need your wisdom, and I believe you for it. I believe you, God, to do something big in my life. God, I believe you to come through. God, I believe you to give me perspective that would change how I'm looking at this thing. This is what we're made for. Somebody say amen. amen. I know it's, it's hard things that push us to the edge of desperation, but that place of desperation is where many of us are more likely to find God than anywhere else. Too many of us, things go super well and super easy, and we kind of like, hey, thumbs up, big guy. I got everything. It's all good. <laughs> you know? But we're not made for that. We're made for closeness with God. And sometimes the hard things, the problems, the trials are the very things that bring you right where you need to be, right up close into his presence. And you're going to find his goodness even in the midst of the badness of what you're living with. It's what we're made for. You know, this, uh, this week, I've, I've got two guys that I've been praying for. And one, one guy reached out to me and said, hey, the, the, you know, the thing fell apart. You know, a, a, a deal that was going to make everything go. And it just completely fell apart. But his, his request came in the sense of, hey, pray for me. I know God's got this. I know God's got me. And what I recognize is that's the heart of a guy who's going through something hard but hasn't lost sight of the eternal reality of who God is and his goodness. And another, another guy that I was talking to this week, this week, his uh, business, he's got, you know, 150 employees or so, and one of his manufacturing, main manufacturing buildings burned down this week, just completely burned down. And I called him and said, oh, man, I can't believe it. You, this is terrible. I can't even imagine what you must be going through. And he said, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. I've never seen so much destruction, but... You know what? The miracle is that out of all of the people, not a single person even got hurt. And 
God's brought me through so much in my life, I know he'll bring me through this. And again, I knew I was hearing from a guy who hadn't lost sight because of the trial of the reality of eternity and God's presence. And so I think part of what we need to learn to do is to keep eternity in view through the trials. Keep eternity in view through the trials. You could take a a moment and write that thought down. Keep eternity in view through the trials. James comes at this a unique way, but but I want you to see it. In, In James 1, verses 9 following, James said, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I think that it's interesting. James talks about the rich and the poor, and it's got kind of some harsh words for what looks like the rich. But in the big picture, I think part of why James talks about the rich and the poor is because the issue of money and problems with money is one of the greatest areas of trial that we all face. And what we can sometimes do in our time of trial regarding money is instead of looking to the eternal reality of our good God, we start looking over here at this person and going, well, they have it so good, and I don't think that's fair, and that kind of thing. And in a sense, what James, what the Spirit of God through James is saying is, look, it's not all what it seems you're looking at a snapshot in time when you look over here at that person. But that, that's not going to last. Don't get all mesmerized by that. It's temporal. Did, did you catch that? It's temporal. It's like a flower that's there and then boom, it's gone. It's going to be gone. And, and your best shot is to look into the goodness of God and his eternal reality and to keep your focus on eternity even as the trials are taking place. Keep eternity in view through the trials. A few weeks ago, maybe it was, you know, a month and a half ago now, I planted a flower in my backyard, and it's called a, a Mandeville Grande. And I saw this at Lowe's, and I just thought, oh, man, that's a really beautiful flower. I want to plant that one. And, and I planted it, and it's, re- it's really nice. I mean, in fact, the flower is amazing. When you zoom up in it, the flower is beautiful. I mean, I'm not a huge flower guy, but this one caught my eye, and I just I had to plant it. And I mean, it's bold. It's beautiful. It's got a five-inch wide flower. It's just so nice. It's so beautiful. But guess what? No matter how pretty this is, in a couple of weeks... It's just mush. That's it. And that's the kind of word picture that James is giving us. Saying when you look at someone else's temporal reality and you compare yourself to that, you're, you're not wise. Because <laughs> it's like that flower. It's there, yeah, for a minute, it looks just so perfect. But it's just going to be all a bunch of disintegrated mush before you know it. Better to put your focus on our eternal God. And I think if you go back to verse 12 for a moment, I think that's what those words were driving at in verse 12 where it said, 
Why don't you read this out loud with me? Ready? Go. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. This is, this is James pointing us to eternal reality. He's describing something that doesn't even happen here and now. He's describing something that 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about, that Romans 14 talks about. It's this reality that any of us who are believers in Jesus will experience. I want you to just think about it for a moment. Every one of us, at some point, we are going to breathe our last breath, and we're going to lay down this old body, and we're going to enter into the actual experience of the eternal realm. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to heaven. Somebody say, hallelujah. You know, that's a good thing. Don't ever get tired of thanking God for that. Don't ever take it for granted. It costs Jesus too much for you to take it for granted. Okay, so, so you're going to heaven, but... In the reality that we call heaven, which goes way beyond what I can say in just a few minutes, but in a moment that transcends what our imaginations can probably even capably come up with, we, we will stand at what is called the, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that is not the judgment as to whether you are saved or not. That's already been accomplished by Jesus. But it's a moment where when we come into heaven, we stand before Jesus and we give an account his throne, for whatever we did. Good, bad, ugly, everything in between. (laughs) We just will. That's just part of the reality. And what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and this scripture and Romans 14 is in that moment, there's a crown that's given. There's five different kinds of crowns. And this is one of them, the crown of life. And the crown of life is given. And given to those who, who, when tested, keep holding on to God. When going through trials, keep on trusting him. When living through hardship, keep on holding on to God and believing him for what he is yet able to do. That persevering, enduring spirit is a sign of the victory of Jesus, and he rewards any one of us for the, the, the trials that we go through with a crown, a crown of life. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that there's a moment that goes beyond the here and now time frame in the eternal dimension where I will be given something that then I would be able to give back to him. There's only one thing you can give once you're on that side of eternity. Well, there's two. Your worship, which you won't even be able to help but to give, and whatever crown you've received, then you get to cast that at his feet. I'm grateful, for, I'm grateful for the here and now hardships in the fact that they give me the anticipation of receiving a crown of life. That Right now, I don't even have a framework for understanding why it matters, but I read in the scriptures about a moment where I'm going to be very grateful that I got through the hardship and kept believing in my God, because then I get this crown I get to cast at his feet, and he's worthy of it. I'm I'm grateful for the eternal view, and I want to keep that in my mind, but I want to keep reading James. James 1.13, it says, when tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So we got to just pause right here. This uh, section of scripture is describing for us a kind of a process or pattern that we can get caught up in if we're not aware and tracking with God and what he wants for us. What we just read about is the sin cycle. Everyone say the sin cycle. And the last point I wanted to make in this message is skip the sin cycle to avoid the stupid trials. Skip the sin cycle to avoid the stupid trials. By stupid trials, I mean this. I mean, most of the other trials come because of some catastrophe or some accident or the ebb and flow of life or something that someone else did to us, all of that stuff, right? But then there's a certain kind of a trial that is rightfully called, in my view anyway, a stupid trial because you you could have avoided it if you would have skipped the sin cycle. And I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that, that it happens every time for all of us, but it is possible to skip the sin cycle. We've got to understand this sin cycle first. So back to verse 14. Again, it said, each person, here's the sin cycle in verse 14. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. That's the cycle. So it starts out in verse 14 with our own evil desires. And here's the thing. Most of us don't really want to acknowledge, especially not in public, let alone even in private to ourselves, that we have evil desires. But we do. In fact, all of us have a whole range of desires. We have desires, and and look, let me make sure I'm clear about this. We have a whole range and spectrum of desires, and some of the desires that we have are excellent. We desire to take care of our families. We desire to start this business and, and provide for our families. We desire to build something. We desire to make a difference in this world. We desire, and we have a whole spectrum of desires that are good, and they're from God's energy and presence, ultimately, And God is willing to work with you on all those good desires. But also, we have a range of desires that the scriptures are here calling evil desires. So I just want a show of hands. Anybody willing to stand up and tell me about your evil desires? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? One guy's like, oh, I'll do it. (laughs) But the the thing is, we, we have them. And the worst thing we could do is pretend like we don't. The best thing we can do is go, yeah. There's, there's some, I, got a, I got a slew of desires that sometimes well up within me that aren't good. And, and evil desires are desires for things that God has revealed are sin. God, God in his word has revealed are not right. And that even if you didn't read it in the Bible yet, you'd know. Other people would know. This is going to hurt somebody. It's going to be wrong. And the evil desire in and of itself, guess what? It isn't sin. It's important that you see this progression. The desire in and of itself isn't sin, but it is still important to be able to recognize an evil desire for what it is. The second part of the sin cycle is being tempted. You get the evil desire cooperating with an opportunity to do something, and then the next part is you're enticed, and then dragged away. That's when you're finally going for that thing, and then... Desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, 
when it grows up, it says gives birth to death. Let me, uh, let me put this in, in, in a real-time example, but I'll keep it light and silly, right? So sometimes, uh, or, or maybe I should put it like this. It, it might be true that once upon a time when I was driving, I, I had uh, an evil desire inside of me to grab my phone and just look at my phone while I was driving, okay? So I'm keeping it light just for purposes of illustration, right? But I have this evil desire to grab my phone and... Uh, and then I'm tempted because I, I know that there could be something good on my phone. <laughs> Even though I'm driving, I'm tempted because I, I want to know. And, and then I'm enticed. That's the third part, right? Because I turned it over and I saw there was a red dot. I'm enticed. I got to know who's notifying me that they liked something that I said on social media, you know? And, and so I'm enticed. And then I'm dragged away. Like I just, I'm dragged away. And all of a sudden I'm doing it. I'm looking at my phone while I'm driving. It's stupid. It's it's going to not work out well. At this point, I've already crossed the line. And if I got pulled over, it'd be a very expensive ticket. But the scripture also says, and then sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. And in this example, it really could, couldn't it? And that's just a lighthearted, silly example. But, but you could transfer that same sequence of the sin cycle into a lot of different categories. And I think maybe what I'm hoping would happen today is that some of us would recognize, my gosh, I am right in the middle of the sin cycle. And I'm telling you, it's time to, to stop the sin cycle. Turn to God right now. Ask him to forgive you and set you free from that trap of sin. He's able to do it. You don't have to have the sin giving birth to death when it's full grown, part of the story. You can come out right now. I'm telling you, somebody, this is why you're here today, so that you could hear there's a way for you to get freed from sin, and it comes through Jesus Christ. His blood is enough to cause you to be sprung from the trap of death, of sin. But somebody else, maybe it hadn't started yet, Skip it altogether. Skip the sin cycle. Grace, grace is real. Let me make sure I'm clear about this. The grace of God and the forgiveness that he brings is real. But so are consequences of sin. And I might go full bore into the sin cycle and, and really do some damage to my life and other people's lives. And, and God might forgive me. I, he will. If I would come to him and confess my sin, he'll forgive me. But it's not likely to erase the consequences. The consequences will still be there. If I, if I choose to go into my neighbor's house and steal their stuff because I was tempted and enticed, you know, God will forgive me, but it's going to take my neighbors a while to trust me again. And so for that reason, I think it's important that we, we hear loud and clear what God's word is saying. But, but it's not just about skipping the sin cycle and, and, and only looking at that. But the other side of the equation is turning our attention to the amazing goodness of God. And that's where James goes next. In James 1, uh, 17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the... Every good and perfect gift is from above. God wants us to have good things, but he wants us to have truly good things, not the fake, temporarily good things that sin would bring us into. And so 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Back to verse 17. I want you to just say verse 17 out loud with me. Ready? Go. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. You know, the ultimate good and perfect gift is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so for many of us in this room, this is the reality that we live in. We know that our sins are forgiven through the good and perfect gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Never lose sight of this reality of how good it is that God is willing to forgive your sin. It it cost him so much to do it, but he chose to pay that price because he discerns you as valuable, precious, worthwhile. Hold on to that. Thank him for it. But somebody else, maybe the truth is you just don't even know where you stand with God. And all the while, God wants you to stand right with him through the good and perfect gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. And so his gift is offered to you, but maybe today's the day you need to once and for all receive it and ask for the gift of salvation, the gift of the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. So I'd like you to pray with me, and let's pray together that God would give us a new perspective. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the word that we've read today. And the truth is, for some of us, I mean, the truth is, it's kind of a hard thing to hear. Because right now, for some of us, we're going through the hardest thing ever. For some of us, right now, we're going through what feels like the trial of our life. And it's hard to hear, uh, count it all joy when you go through trials of many kinds. But God, we recognize what you're, what you're really calling us to is a different perspective, that what you're really calling us to is a different way of looking at things. And so right now, God, I ask for the miraculous shift of perspective to begin to happen for some of us, that right now, we, we would have a new set of lenses to see differently the difficulties that we're, we're going through, to see differently the trial and the, the weight of it but to see the possibility of the goodness that can come even because of these trials. I think for some of us right now, part of what's happening in the middle of the trial that we're going through is God is allowing us to truly get in touch with the reality of our faith. Because this moment is calling it out like never before. And in the end, it's going to make you stronger. See the goodness that can come through the trials. And ask for God's wisdom and help as you're going through the trials. And keep eternity in view while you're going through the trials.